Hey, it's Monday night. How is everybody? I know it's Monday because I've thought a lot about it today. It's the, I guess, technically the first day of spring break because, you know, Saturday and Sunday really don't count as spring break because those are typical days out of school. So if you're being official, Monday would be that first day of spring break, I suppose. And right now, like literally right now as we speak, Pearl Jam would probably be seven or eight songs into their set in San Diego. And Andrea and myself and Jack and Amalia and my mom as well. And maybe my sister that was never quite determined, um, but my mom had an extra ticket. So we were all going to be in San Diego tonight to see Pearl Jam. And not only that, we were also, um, we were going to have flown down this past Friday, rented a car, so flown into Phoenix, rented a car, stayed at an Airbnb. On Saturday night, just Andrea and I were going to go and see Pearl Jam in Phoenix because, you know, that's what we do. That would have been my 37th show. And then we would have driven today to San Diego and would be at the show now. That would be my 38th. You can do the math on it at this point. And that was going to be a full family affair and Amalia's first show. Jack's already seen him twice, so that would have been lucky number three for the big guy. But um, And then from there, we were going to go up to L.A., and Andrea and I were going to see him the first night at the Forum just as a couple, and then the last night at the Forum, which would have been our final night of the spring break extravaganza, we were going to see them again as a as a um, a whole kitten caboodle of us. Andrea, the kids, my mom, and again, potentially my sister, although it's hard to nail her down. And um, even though, you know, the current state of sort of lockdown and shutdown of everything started in what beginning of March and certainly was full of effect in full effect by mid-March, even by beginning of March or even late February, Aubrey was still just a maybe on the trip. So um, nothing was concrete there, but it was looking pretty optimistic that she was probably going to be joining us. And just like all of you, there's things that we just we don't get to do because of the current state of things. And that's fine. It is what it is. I only really say that because, well, I'd like to be seeing Pearl Jam but mostly because I've started all these off talking about which day of the week it is because it's so hard right now to know, you know, to distinguish one day from the next. And I just know that today's Monday because we should be in San Diego seeing Pearl Jam. And just a quick little Pearl Jam side note, the one of the reasons we were really excited and decided that that was a show that all of us would go to because... We could have just as easily all decided that we would go to Phoenix and then Andrea and I would go to San Diego and whatever. But 
Eddie Vedder's a Chicago guy. That's where he was born and raised through his elementary years. And then sometime... Wow, okay, well, um, again, super pro operation here. I just dropped the speaker, so that was what all that clanging was. But anyhow, sometime in middle school, high school era, he moved to San Diego and was certainly living in San Diego when when he received the the tape from Stone and Mike and Jeff and it turns out Matt Cameron played on that even though he wasn't in the band the tape that he then was given to by his friend Jack Irons and that he recorded three songs for and sent back and then ultimately got the invite up to Seattle to form Mookie Blaylock and then Pearl Jam that he was in San Diego at the time. So his, and he was in a band called bad radio, which was a San Diego band. And so his musical career began in San Diego. And then I don't know much about his backstory, but I just, I know that Matt Cameron is also uh, a San Diego native. So it would have no doubt been a, a special show and a little bit of a homecoming on some level. But alas, I'm here at home. I just made a trip to Fred Meyer. And it's funny how how quickly we adapt to things and also how quickly... I mean, I'm not somebody who cares all that much about how I look, but there's definitely a part of me that's like, well, that looks ridiculous. I'm not going to wear that or... You know, I'm I'm aware, but all that's gone out the window now as I go to the store. I put on, tonight I literally, I've got some safety goggles, like safety glasses rather that I've been wearing. And then I wear my buff, but underneath the buff I hide the one, the house we live in, just to back up a little bit, we bought from Andrea's parents and... Her dad, Cipriano, had left some tools and things out in the garage that have been pretty handy and that there was no reason for them to move out. And we just inherited them. So I was digging through there the other day because I, I thought, you know, given all the paint thinners and sandpaper and whatever else he's left out here, there's bound to be a face mask somewhere. And sure enough, I found one, but only one. And it's not an N95, it's an R95. So I don't even know what that means. But I, I put that on first and then I cover over the top of that with the, the buff. And then I, tonight the kids had been doing science experiments out in the backyard. And as part of that set, they have a pair of... Um, safety goggles, you know, like the ones you wore in chemistry class or whatever in high school. So that's how I went to the store tonight with a buff over my face with an R95 mask on underneath that and then <laughs> goggles. And you realize, like I looked at myself in the rearview mirror before I walked in and it's just like, wow, this is a ridiculous look, but I don't care. I, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to get anyone else sick 
and I don't want anyone getting me sick and, you know, passing it along to Andrea and the kids would just be the worst. So, uh, so it's, as you all know, I mean, I think any normal person right now is finding the routine trip to the grocery store quite a bit more stressful and anxiety ridden than ever before. Um, and also just fascinating to me how oblivious some people are to the whole notion of social distancing and wearing a mask. And I mean, there was a, a gentleman that I passed in the cereal aisle this evening as I was reaching for my grape nuts. And he was in the middle of the aisle. I shouldn't say I was reaching for yet because I was still pushing my cart through. But he was his cart was planted right in the middle of the aisle. And he was certainly in his mid to late 60s, if not into his 70s. No mask on, no, certainly no goggles or safety glasses. His carts just camped out in the middle of the aisle and he just, you know, was just kind of like unaware of everything that was happening around him. And part of me was kind of a little bit envious of just that naivete of just either not knowing or not caring or or both but uh, it was that must be a pretty liberating feeling to just even through all of this just kind of like oh, whatever just go about my business and shop as I shop so uh so that was funny and a little bit frustrating but you know I I can't get too frustrated either he's He's in a much higher risk demographic than I am, and he's choosing to not be concerned. And so who am I to, to, to judge him? Anyhow, that's enough of me sort of uh, just going off about mundane day-to-day -day stuff. Tonight, I thought it would be fun to talk about, <laughs> strangely and kind of perversely, one of my favorite situations that come up in the store, um, particularly with certain individuals. Uh, in general, I, I can't stand, you know, I'm, I have a, I think a very high moral code and a strong sense of right and wrong. And I'm a rule follower and I don't take a lot of risks and, and on and on and on. And that's just, how I was raised and partly just who I am, you know, um, personality wise and genetically, I think. But there we get our fair share of shoplifters. And though, again, like I can't stand it when shoplifters come into the store, there are a couple particular instances and one sort of recurring character that there's a part of me that that longs for an occasional visit from from one big hands man. Now let me explain. Big hands man, for all I know, he's been around the Seattle retail world for for long before I was aware. But my first interaction with him, it was actually my friend Michael's interaction. Michael, who I've mentioned a little bit, a couple times already on the podcast, Michael Sanders, a.k.a. the Alabama Hammer. 
He'd probably be livid if he knew I was sharing this story, but he doesn't listen anyway, so it doesn't matter. But Michael and I were working together in 2006. It was an evening. We were the only two in the store. And I was helping another customer. And this, I, you know, even though I was helping a customer, I was certainly aware of this man's entrance Nothing jumped out at me initially, but the longer he was in there, the more I sort of was trying to listen in and was mildly aware of what was going on. But anyhow, um, as Michael tells the story, and I do know the ultimate outcome, so I can speak to that. But as Michael tells the story, he came in and he's a fairly large kind of imposing man with a greasy mustache and dark curly hair, greasy hair. And I, I'll never forget him now, but at this point, I'd never seen him before, and so I didn't, I didn't really know what to think. But he also, so he he started by telling Michael, "Hey, my wife's waiting out in the taxi. We're headed back up to Alaska, but while we're here in town, I wanted to make sure and come in because you guys, this is our favorite store in town. We love you guys. The last time we were here, though." We uh, we bought some insoles that didn't work out and we just need to return them. And meanwhile, so that was his story. But before he was really giving that story to Michael, he didn't go straight to the counter. He sort of was over by the shoe wall and the insoles were underneath the shoes. And I could see that Michael looked uneasy. And I wasn't entirely sure why. And, you know, again... In hindsight, I should have just managed to pull myself out of the fit that I was in and and potentially step in on a greater level. But I, I just didn't realize certainly the extent of what was going on at the time. So this guy, we now, we call him Big Hands Man. And, and not only do we call him Big Hands Man, but if you do yourself a little favor and Google Big Hands Man Seattle, and you can find, I think, a little sketch of him. You might even be able to find, there was a photo floating around of him laying out in kind of sun tanning, fully clothed, of course, but tanning at the the lawn over, um, over at Pike Place Market, kind of up on the upper section. Anyhow, he has these, gigantic swollen hands and I'm not sure if it's a genetic condition some people have told me that intravenous drug users are all they'll oftentimes get this sort of swelling in their extremities but he has these wow okay you can probably hear Jack and Amalia in the background sorry for that um I can certainly hear them in the background anyhow He's got these gigantic, puffy, swollen hands. And Michael is a bit of a germaphobe, if not even a lot of a germaphobe. And so, as he told me the story, he thought as this guy starts waving his hands around and talking about how he was bitten by a spider and he got this infection in his hand, all Michael could think about is, wow, I mean, those things look so swollen that if a mosquito came by and bit him, his hand would just explode. And so Michael was just, I think, envisioning 
oh my gosh, what if like pus squirts out of his hand into my eye and I get hepatitis or something? You know, all kinds of his thoughts just were running rampant. Well, meanwhile, as he's distracting Michael with his swollen hands, and also I should point out, Michael was pretty new to the store at that time. The other thing that's very nefarious about the big hands man is he has quite the knack of targeting new employees. Anyhow, he uh, he took up a pair of insoles up to the counter. He said, yeah, I just need to return these. And I don't have a receipt, so I just need to get cash back. So Michael wanted to be done with it, returned the insoles and gave him, you know, his $35 or whatever plus tax and bid him adieu. And then he walked back in about two or three minutes later and said, ah, my wife reminded me when I was out at the car, we actually had two more pairs of insoles that I need to return. And he clearly had grabbed them as well when he was distracting Michael. What What's really just crazy and funny and, and um, hard to grasp about this guy is that he clearly is a very skilled thief, even though he has these bulbous, seemingly clumsy hands. He, he's got an amazing amount of dexterity and ability to to sort of deceive and use sleight of hand. So anyhow, Michael then took back two more pairs of insoles. So all of a sudden now he had returned $105 plus tax in cash to this shoplifting junkie, presumably. And, uh, and then, you know, at that point, I, I was kind of aware of what was going on and realized that we'd, you know, essentially been taken. And so we called Scott and explained the story to him, Scott McCubrey. He, you know, he was frustrated, but certainly not livid or upset with us. And so, and that was that. And we, we then went on to tell every single person on staff about what had happened and how crazy this guy's hands were. And every time I'd tell the story, Michael would be sure to jump in and say, yeah, I know it sounds like I was super gullible and whatnot, but you should have seen his hands. His hands are disgusting. Michael just constantly was fixated on his hands, which, you know, I don't blame him. Having seen his hands subsequent times, I get it. So the next time that I had a run-in with Big Hands Man was probably two years later. I was sitting in the old Seattle Running Company. Uh, well, we started our meeting before the store opened, and then, and then it must have gone past ten because we were open. And Bob Wessler was our Segoy rep. I was sitting there looking at the Segoy line with him, and I saw Big Hands Man come walking down East Pine and turn and walk into the store. And I said, hey, Bob, you'll have to excuse me for a second. He, he had no idea what was going on. And I stood up and I said, hey, you need to leave the store. And he looked at me and he said, what? I'm a customer. You can't talk to me that way. And I said, you're not a customer. 
you stole some insoles from us. I'm never, as long as I'm here, I'm never going to forget you. Leave the store or I'm going to call the police. So he turned and started to walk out the, out of the store, you know, muttering profanities. And then as he walked by the window, he smacked it a couple times with his fist and shot me a, the bird. And, and Bob was kind of like, what, you know, having no idea. He's like, what was that all about? And then I explained the story and he's like, geez, I can't believe the nerve of that guy to come back in or to attempt to come back in. So that was in 08. And then in 2000, let's call it 2011, we had moved into our current space in the Oddfellows building. And we were rebranded as Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet Sports, actually, at that point, now just Fleet Feet. And I was downstairs in the basement doing some, I must have been doing some inventory or something. And Erin came downstairs and she said, Brian, have you ever heard of a, I think she said like a 7E or something. And I was like, huh, what? No. And she's like, yeah, there's this really strange guy upstairs. He said he's got really wide feet and she didn't say anything about his hands, but somehow just the way she was acting, all of a sudden my spidey senses, for lack of a better term, kicked in and I said, does he have big swollen hands? And she said, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, he's just kind of creepy and gross. And so I rushed upstairs and he saw me as soon as I came out of the back and he started to gather up all of his stuff really quick. And I said, Hey, you are not welcome in this store. And I've told you that I'm never going to forget you. And he's like, Hey, you have no idea who I am. You can't talk to me like that. I'm a customer. And I said, you are not a customer here. You are not welcome in our store. And he had a paper bag that I was convinced he'd slid something into. So I followed him outside and he made a left turn toward Broadway and I followed him. And if I'm being honest, you know, my, my language was getting, um, I wasn't keeping it entirely professional, mostly because he was cursing at me. And so I was giving it right back. And, uh, and then we, um, then he made a, a right turn of Broadway and crossed over to near the Hendrix statue in front of Blix. And at that point he said, Hey, you want to see what's in my bag? Here you go. And then as, as he set his bag down and to his credit, he did not steal anything that time. He then also at the top of his lungs said, so what? Right here on the corner, you want me to drop my pants so you can, and you, you can imagine what came out of his mouth. And, you know, that's a busy, busy intersection right there. There's all the college kids from Seattle Central and you know, just Capitol Hill and Broadway in general is bustling. And so it was like, a, you know, like somebody stopped a record, like everybody kind of looked and it was, you know, a bit embarrassing. But at the same time, I was I thought, well, at least I thwarted another attempt by this guy. So I walked back into the store and sure enough, though he hadn't gotten away with them, he had two pairs of insoles that were 
right next to where he had had his bag set. So he was clearly working on grabbing some insoles and then trying to return them. Meanwhile, so that was the last time I saw him at Capitol Hill for a while. Meanwhile, Phil Kochik, who now owns the uh, Seven Hills, he had worked with us at both Seattle Running Company and Fleet Feet. He and I worked together for like six years, maybe. He was living in Wallingford at the time and managing Fleet Feet for us. And he kept sharing with me posts from the Wally Hood blog of this guy, same guy, you know, some there was some camera footage of him, so it was very clearly the same guy who was doing the same exact shtick in Wallingford where he was claiming that he was from Alaska. He'd walk in, he'd grab something without drawing too much attention right off the sales floor and then take it up to the counter to return it for cash. And so, I mean, he must have, there was like a a month-long stretch where all these Wallingford businesses were having run-ins with him. And then he went away for, I guess it would have been his longest, our longest stretch away from him. And it must have been then in 2015, Chris Ald and I, so Dan Ald is our manager currently at Capitol Hill, his twin brother Chris worked for us for several years as well. Chris and I were outside. There was a group run that was about to go off. And I don't think either of us were leading the run, but we were just out socializing with people. And sure enough, as I glanced over at Cal Anderson Park, I see Big Hands Man coming toward the Oddfellows building, crossing at the crosswalk there right at East Pine and, um, and 10th Avenue. And and then he walked around the toward like he was going to the Odd Fellows Cafe. So the he continued on the east side of the block. And so I told Chris, I said, Hey, that's big hands, man. I'm gonna duck in the back and then go down the hallway. So we have a, a door out the back of Capitol Hill that exits into a hallway that runs east-west through the Oddfellows building. So I popped out into the hallway. I don't see him. I kind of hustle down to the other end, the east end of the building. And there was a little store called Newbie Green. And he was inside there and talking to... He, he had his back to me and he was telling the clerk that he just needed to make a return and I was looking at the the guy at the cash register was clearly already aware that something was not quite right, but he saw me and I'm shaking my head and I'm mouthing. He's, he's a total scam artist. He's, he stole that. And the big hands man must have seen the look on the cashier's face. He spun around. He saw me immediately again i'm sure he recognized me based on the look on his face immediately just tore into me about you know you mother effer this and that and you can't i'm a customer <laughs> just so aggressive and vocal but he rushed out of the store and uh and then i told that guy about my experience in history with him well then he had really disappeared for quite a while until this past fall, we opened our store in Ballard, 
And he, I guess it was Andreas saw it on my Ballard blog. Big Hands Man had been into Kavu and had given the same song and dance about visiting from Alaska and he made a purchase the last time he was there that he just had to return. And I don't, I think the the manager there caught on or maybe knew of this guy. At this point, it's a wonder he can get away with anything in Seattle because he's sort of uh, a shoplifting legend at this point. But he got thwarted there and I wasn't actually at Ballard. I was maybe on my way to Capitol Hill or something and Andrea had texted me this. So I immediately called the Ballard store and it's one of the first things I do with any new employee is give them the rundown on, you know, how to handle potential shoplifters in the first place. But specifically, I always tell them about Big Hands Man just because, you know, every three to four years we're we're due a visit from this guy. And so I told Emily, I said he was just at Kavu and she was pretty new at the time, but she definitely had already heard the story of Big Hands Man. And uh, thankfully he didn't come into our store and as far as I know, that that's the last I've heard of him now. And so that was probably October, November. So I'd love to know more about this guy and, you know, why his hands are swollen the way they are. Clearly, he's constantly looking for a quick hit of cash. And so, again, you know, this is not my world. As I explained, I'm a bit of a goody two shoes and a rule follower and all that. So I don't know this from experience, but it would seem to me that if one had a a drug habit, you would be constantly needing cash to to acquire said drugs. And so it seems like he probably has some kind of a I don't know, an opioid addiction or something that he's struggling with and needing to steal and return for quick cash and a quick hit. But um, I guess on some level too, it's a wonder he's he's even still alive. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. And just when I think, oh, you know, we've probably seen the last of him, he, he resurfaces. And what's really, really interesting, actually, now that I'm talking about all this, after the last time that he was in Capitol Hill, the time when I followed him out to the corner by Blix. I filed a police report and about a week or maybe 10 days later, an officer came into the store and he asked for Brian Morrison. I said, that's me. And he said, uh, I don't remember the first or the middle name, but something Margulis, D-O-B, you know, Seven ten sixty two, and it just that was all like, and I said, "Huh?" And he's like, "You know the the gentleman you had the encounter with," and so he gave me his his uh, name and his date of birth. I guess as a way to sort of like follow. It was very strange. He didn't give me much direction, but I do remember looking it up, and I just remember his last name was. Margulis, or I'm not even sure how you pronounce it, but um, he gave me his full name and his date of birth. 
And I wish that I'd written it down because I would love the next time that he comes into the store, assuming there is a next time, that I could say, hey, so-and-so Margulis, <laughs> D-O-B, <laughs> 71062, I know who you are, just to see that reaction. Um, but since I didn't write it down and I would not know how to go about reacquiring that information, it'll just have to be as it is that I'll know him as Big Hands Man. And it's sort of more fitting that way anyways. But um, if and when I can ever get Michael on, I'm going to have to ask for just a, a brief telling of his side of that story because uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to even understand. I'm sure listening to this that like, wait a second, you, you seriously, and I don't mean you as in me because this was Michael, but that Michael seriously took back one insole for cash and then the guy walks out to the taxi and then has a story that he forgot to return two other pairs and just takes those back, gives him cash as well. It seems insane, but clearly that's what Big Hands Man has, um, you know, made quite a an existence doing. Also, I mentioned earlier that he seems to really target new employees. The, um, the other time that he came in, you know, there was the time when I was with Bob shut him down before anything could happen. But the next time it was definitely some newer employees that were working upstairs when he came in. And if memory serves the, a couple of the Wallingford shops also had, you know, just an employee in the store and kind of like a part-timer. He He's just very good at taking advantage of you know, new, less veteran staff. So keep your eyes peeled, especially if you're a retailer in Seattle. There's a there's a couple other interesting stories from, you know, shoplifting stories from my time in retail, but really they all kind of pale to Big Hands Man and there's never been another one that's struck or attempted to strike so many times over, you know, we're talking now like a 14-year period. So um, so I think I'll leave it there, and I will wish you all a good evening. Enjoy this weather. Keep, keep staying apart from non-housemates, but get out and run and walk around and enjoy the weather. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Good night.